Gospel lesson for this evening comes from Luke chapter 17. It will serve as the basis for our sermon. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Let's pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. This might sound a little silly, but I want you to play along for just a few minutes because I think it's going to help you better understand where we're going with this sermon today. So I want you to imagine that you are out for a walk on a beautiful afternoon. It's so beautiful that the windows are open in the houses that you're walking by. And as you're walking down this particularly quaint street, you walk in front of a house, and all of a sudden you hear a man yell. This is where it's going to sound a little silly. Give me that marker right now. And it comes through the windows, clear as can be. Now pause, rewind. Imagine the same scene, the exact same scene. You're walking down this beautiful street, windows are open, beautiful day, only this time you hear a child say the exact same thing. Give me that marker right now. Now same setting, same day, same words. And you're wondering to yourself as you walk by in these two Different scenarios, similar but different. I wonder what's going on inside that house. Well, in the first scenario, the dad walks into a room and his three-year-old kid is coloring all over the wall in permanent marker. And he yells, give me that marker right now! But you see, in the second scenario, it's very different. That The dad has just told his three-year-old son, no, we're not going to color right now. It's time to clean your room. And that three-year-old's pretty frustrated. He wants to color. And so he yells, give me that marker right now! Same words. Both sets of words are a command. Give me that marker. That's what we call a command, right? You're telling someone to do something. But of course, there's one big difference in these two scenarios. In the one, the father giving the command has the authority to make sure that the command is followed. But in the second scenario, the child does not have the authority to make sure that the command is followed. And in fact, I think we could all agree that there's not a father in the world who's going to comply with that command and give the marker to his three-year-old son. 
your authority when giving a command, or lack thereof, matters. If you're giving a command and you have the authority to enforce it and make sure that it's followed through on, I suppose you could say that is genuinely a command. But the reverse, what do we call that? Begging? When you don't have the authority to enforce it, but you command it anyway, all you can do is hope. It's the difference between a command and a beg. Today, we are focusing on a Greek phrase, Kyrie eleison. It's a phrase that we say in English just about every single time we gather here. Lord, have mercy. A lot of times in our liturgy, we say it after the confession and absolution. We say, Lord, have mercy, Lord, have mercy, Lord, have mercy, Lord, have mercy. And you might not think of it this way, but when you say that, You are giving God a command, technically. You're saying, Lord, have mercy. You're telling him to do something. You're giving him a command. But you and I were like that child who's saying something to God, giving him a command when we don't have the authority to make him do it. We're simply trusting that he will. Now, we didn't do that Lord have mercy prayer today, but it was in our confession of sins. Towards the end, we said, have mercy on us, Lord. And then we added three more commands. I don't know if you noticed that. Spare us, forgive us, and restore us. We didn't ask him to do it. We told him to do it. Now, in our gospel lesson, we come across this word, eleison, have mercy. In our translation, it was translated, have pity. And they used a different word. They didn't use kyrie for Lord. They used epistata for master. But just like you and I could use Lord and master interchangeably, they're two different words, but they mean the same thing. Very similar here. I want you to think about what it is that these men are saying. They have a terrible disease, leprosy. It's kind of hard for us to wrap our minds around this, I think. Uh, Leprosy was a disease that, that not only impacted people physically, but emotionally, because it took away everything you loved. If you had leprosy, you literally were removed from the community. You had to live outside the city. So that means you lost your house, you lost your family, you lost your job, and you didn't have a choice. The community told you, you have to leave. You have to go live outside the community. Now, there's 10 men living outside the the community. They've lost everything. And what do they do when they see Jesus? They beg him. They give him this command, eleison. But they only do it after they've acknowledged who he is and who they are. When they say master, they're saying, Jesus, you're up here. We're down here. You don't have to listen to what we're saying if you don't want to, because you're up here and we're down here. But we think that you are able to help us. 
And we think that you want to help us. And so Jesus, Master, have mercy. And from there, what can they do? Nothing. They're at his mercy, aren't they? They have to wait and see, is he actually going to help us? They gave him a command. They told him to do something, but now they have to just wait and see. Is he going to help us or not? Well, of course he does, right? And he sends them off to the priest to get inspected. That's what you did. If by God's grace you you were healed from leprosy, you'd show yourself to the priest. What did that mean? If the priest said, yes, you are healed, what would that mean? That meant you got your family back, your house back, your job back. You got your life back. Big deal? Absolutely. So off they go. Is it surprising that when they see that they're healed, nine run to get their life back? They run to the priest. Does that surprise us? It, really, it shouldn't. Maybe what should surprise us is that the one stops, turns around, and goes back and thanks Jesus. Every time we come here, I don't care if it's a weeknight or a Sunday, every time we come here and we come before the Lord and we beg him, Lord, have mercy. You're up here, Lord, right? That's what Lord is communicating, and we're down here. We come to him as as beggars, every one of us, and we think that he's able to help us, and we think that he wants to help us. And so we ask him, Lord, have mercy on us. And he does. And then we go back to our lives. My question for you is this. Are you one of the nine or the one? When you leave church, be it a Sunday or a midweek service, and you go back home, do you go back to living your life? To the the, the joys of house and home and job and hobbies and family? Or are you the, the one who comes back to Jesus moment after moment after moment, realizing all that he's done for you. Pure thanksgiving. I know that just last Sunday, we had a sermon where we talked about planning. And we talked about planning, ready to go. Belt tucked in. This is what I'm going to do if I'm still alive, and if Jesus hasn't come back yet. But if he comes back, if he takes me home, I'll be ready to go, even if I don't get to carry out these plans. And that very night, after a long afternoon, my wife and I sat down to plan our week, and I woke up the next morning, and it hit me. I didn't do what we preached about. I didn't plan my week if I'm alive and if Jesus hasn't come back yet. First thing Monday morning, I woke up and it just was the first thing that hit me. It is so easy for us to come here to beg God, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. 
hear that he does, and then just go right back to living life as though none of it happened. What does Jesus say to this guy who comes back? We're not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? What I'm hoping you can grab tonight is a little insight into the wisdom of a liturgical flow to the service. I get it. I was a kid once. I was a young guy once who thought everything new was better. But there's a reason for the repetition. There's a reason that we say the same, Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy, every single week, week after week after week. It's because every single time we come back here, we come as beggars again. We have nothing to offer God. You might think that you have such a rousing experience in worship, it just changes your life. It's just so transformational that you're going to go out into the world and you're just going to dominate Christian living for a whole week. You're just going to be the greatest Christian ever. Then you're going to come back and then all of a sudden Jesus is going to be up here and so are you because you just did it all flawlessly the whole week. It's not how it works. We trip and fall the minute we're out the door. Every day, seven days a week. And so we come back here once again begging because it's all we can do. We're beggars. We have nothing to offer God. All we could do is beg for his mercy. And that's when he shows us the cross. Do you remember what happened in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before Jesus died? I'm paraphrasing here, but he went to his father in prayer and he said, Father, take this cup from me. If there's any other way, please have mercy on me. Spare me this suffering. And the father said, no. Jesus went to his father and he said, Lord, have mercy on me. And on the cross, the father said, no. The father refused to have mercy on his own son. Why? So that he could be merciful to you. Merciful. Full of mercy. That's who God is. He is full of mercy. And so he withheld mercy from himself so that he could show mercy to you and to me. He endured the hell that our sins deserve. This is what we're talking about when we talk about the cross. It was the place where mercy was not shown. It was the place where Jesus wanted mercy, but it was not given. He endured that so that when beggars like us come to him and say, Lord, have mercy, he could say yes for the sake of the cross of Christ. Yes, I will have mercy on you. Thanksgiving is a, a, an American thing, right? It's an American holiday, and it's a good thing. It is a good thing to take a day to do nothing but be thankful. And I pray that all of you have opportunity tomorrow to stop and be thankful for the many things, the many blessings that God has showered upon you.
But most of all, I want you to remember every single day of your life what it's like to be a beggar and what it's like to have your requests for mercy granted by your Lord every single time. That is a daily blessing that you and I have. We get to come to our God, hands out, begging for mercy, and he gives it to us for the sake of his crucified son every single time. God's blessings to you all as you celebrate Thanksgiving tomorrow, but also every single day. Amen.